Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your pilot, Big Dick Power Surfer speaking. And welcome aboard the drop. This week, Mikey Sierra is still, he, he passed away, so we're talking with his co-host, Stace, from the cusp, which you love. And Stace and I will be talking about this week's surf news. We've got the Vans Pipe Masters Invite Show, Episode 1. A lot of big invitees revealed, so we're getting there. Top story. Next up, we'll have Rolo Montez and his stab out of the year. A little update on that project as well. Then we'll have some thoughts on a profile on Seb Smart, an Englishman. Uh, the profile is called When Are You Going to Join Society? It is great. Then we will speak about the fire that recently took out electric acid surfboard test shaper Joel Fitzgerald's house. It's a sad one. We're trying to help. We'll get to that. Last up, you know this is a Challenger Series podcast. Me and Stace, we're going to get into the CS, okay? As you know, the contest ended at Ribera Dillish about a week ago, and it's time for an update. Two events left. Let's see what Stace has to think. Maybe we can get some turbulence. Maybe not. Yeah, no, we'll argue over some shit. So let's get into it. Let's let's kick it off with Stace now. All right, Stace Galbraith. I got to ask you, did Rio get the supers? Well, I don't think so, actually. Uh, I sent him about oh, 15 no. people that I thought. And I think by that point, uh, he was probably sick of hearing from me because the forecast didn't look too good. I think my froth for Portugal uh, and, and, and CS in general and Super Chubos might have been a little too much for our young Indonesian friend. And um, at that point, I think he'd had enough and he went to uh, Le Gravier with Mickey Pecon, which I think was probably a better option. I think looking at the forecast, and we'll talk about that when we get to the Challenger Series section, as we know, this is a Challenger Series podcast. But can we name some other names? Because the fact that 15 other people were implicated in this not getting Rio to Supers, like I want to just spread the blame. I accepted the blame last week, and I've had so many people hit me up and just call me an asshole for not driving, driving Rio to Supers. Because somebody made a point. Chris Bins... Yeah, I'll, thro- I'll throw a few people under the bus for sure. Uh, Kay Kobayashi had been and gone, lost first heat, so he was gone. He couldn't help. Um, I think Shane Sykes had a full car, couldn't do it. Alyssa Spencer was there, but she didn't have a car either, so she was also looking for a lift. Um, I know young Aussie CS charger Zali Kelly was there as well, but she'd rented the car with Kay Kobayashi, so there was like this, I don't know if the car was still in her, you know, garage, so to speak, and there was just, you know, all these kinds of half options out there that none really came through. So, yeah, you're not the only one, but... Okay, thank you, because... When I was talking about the conditions, I talked to Binzi this week, Chris Binz, and he he's yelling at me for it. He's like, you just got back from Indo. Like, way to thank the country by just ignoring the its first qualifier. And I was like, well, the waves weren't that good. And he's like, I was describing them to him. I was like, you know, it was like waves, chest high, but clean. And he's like, yeah, so exactly the type of conditions. They'd probably run men's round one and elimination round in. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So... Let it be known that the the blame is now spread out amongst myself and everybody you just named, um, and you know it's he's fine. He's so good. He's fine. He'll qualify again. We will be following Rio's results closely at Portugal uh, in two thousand twenty three, and we'll circle back on it then, Buck, to decide how impactful 
uh, your decision was. All right, that sounds good. For now, let's get into the news. The Vans Pipe Masters Invite Show, Episode 1, is here. Stace, your cusp co-host, Mikey C., holds this one down. He has a seat with Kael Kennelly, Makua Rothman, and Nathan Fletcher to go through not all the pipe invitees, but many of them. We announced the entire men's CT field that will be competing and just the women's whole field. There's 20 females, and so far we've announced eight men. So plenty more to come there, but let me tell you, this this episode isn't just about the invitees. That's kind of like the we build up to that in it, essentially, but you get to hear all these crazy stories about pipe, all these interesting stats, some interesting stories in general, some thoughts about how the no priority thing is going to affect life out there, and uh, it's a great watch. I think... It's so good having Makua Rothman at this point in his career being so available to the program. His insights are incredible. The way he can kind of have a laugh about certain things such as no priority. I don't think, you know, 10, 15 years ago that would have been a laughing matter, but it's, uh, you know, it's cool to see and um, got to give it to Mikey and, and the production staff there. The, the, the B-roll stories of, of Pipeline are just incredible and there's... there's you know, you could, I'm sure that episode probably could have a, a one-hour cut if, if it wasn't for the, the fast-paced world we lived in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you sit those three people down, and then plus Mikey, but the stories that Kaala, Makua, and Nathan have, I mean, it goes through injuries. At one point, it got brought up that Kaala once beat Andy in a heat, Andy Irons, of course, and uh, he wouldn't talk to her for a while after that. So it really covers some ground. Uh, it gets in some history, like the event's been running since 71. So a lot of history to unpack there. And I like, I think this was Mikey's kind of taste, but he was, there's a lot of stuff about how much boards have changed since this event started. And I think it's really cool to get that historic context because this event is all about continuing to change. You know, it's already gone a long way since it started, but I think this is going to, the idea here is to try to make it change as quickly as we can, just really progress it. It's all about progression, so it should be cool. Definitely, and I think you see in the last five, ten years that aerial maneuvers that the crew are doing on the CT, both off the left and right, are incredible. And if it was just those on their own at, say, a Super Tubos or the Gravier, they'd be getting nine fives. But because it's pipeline and we all just sort of come to expect the norm that, no, that doesn't matter, that you've just done one of the best airs of the year that you just kind of tune out after the barrel. I like that that's been flipped on its head and can't wait to see what people do. So, yeah. But I have a funny story on sort of the history of pipe. I was lucky enough to sit down to, to, for dinner one night with Richie Lovett and uh, Bugs. And Bugs is a, a, a classic uh, rack on tour for the ages. And he simply said, you don't retire from Pipeline. Pipeline retires you. And uh, Bugs had the world's greatest story about a backdoor wave that nearly killed him, and that was the last time he ever surfed out there. So, yeah, it, it's the wave's no joke, and uh, hearing Nathan, Kiala, and Makua talk about it is it's unreal. Yeah, yeah, and I think, okay, so we have episode two coming next Thursday, but I think we're going to see a lot of conversations around episode two. Like I said, episode one, we got the entire 20-competitor female field laid out. Um, there's going to be 40 men. And I think we, the thing with the announcing the whole female field at once, I mean, 
I think there's a fact of the matter is like there haven't historically been as many women surfing pipe. And I really think this is going to change that. Like I think having this event and especially with the three heat, no priority, no elimination format, it's going to really, really encourage girls to go out there and really put the time in at pipe. And I think like, especially with the CT there now too, it's like 10 years from now, it's going to look so different. It's going to look, the lineup's going to look different. The surfing we see out there is going to look different. And I think this is a big step in that direction. Um, and then the men's field. So only eight surfers so far. There's still 32 to be announced. There's already some stuff popping off on Instagram about who is, who isn't going to get invited. Um, I'll just say it. Uh, Cam Richards and Vistla seem to really be putting in a, a little campaign to get him an invite. And this is nothing new, is it, Stace, for Cam? No, not at all. I can recall, I think it was the 2015 uh, Hurley Lowers uh, wildcard was chosen... One was done with like a Hurley Trials. I think Rob Machado won that. And the other one, the other spot was given away digitally with like a digital voting format. Uh, And it's sort of given me feelings of that again. I remember uh, Freestone had a pretty good following for at that point in in Instagram's life. He was one of the bigger names, obviously, in the sport, world junior titles and all that. And he drew Cam Richards in round one. And me being the naive young East Coaster that I am from Australia had no idea about the power of the East Coast from America. And I'm kind of looking at the heat draw going, okay, cool, both great surfers, both young and ripping and whatever, but Jack's home and hose in this one. This is no brainer. I'm already looking at heat two thinking, all right, Jack might get in the comp here. Oh my God, Freestone got wiped with Cam Richards. The backing that he and all the other East Coast crew have, that I soon learned, was just phenomenal. And the way they support their guys is crazy. So uh, I don't know if he's got a spot in the comp or not, but the Cam Richards train's coming, Buck. It's coming. And look, this isn't, this is invite only. This isn't a digital event like the lowers thing was, but. I think the one of the funniest things about this story you just laid out is when he came up against Dane, Dane Reynolds, and Dane started an Instagram just to because he wanted that wild card too, and that was literally the thing that pushed Dane over the edge to get Instagram. So again, it's not the same thing, but I think if Dane starts a TikTok in the next week and just starts doing dances and stuff, just somehow to combat Cam, we'd have to we'd have to put him in there. Like there's just no way around that. <laughs> Culture shifting yet once again. Oh my word! Uh, that would be uh, that would be the end of the world, I think. If that yeah. Happened. Well, the world's not gonna end. It's gonna be fine. We have Pipe Masters, Vans Pipe Masters coming up. Invite T Show episode two next week, and like I said, I don't think this is gonna be the last that we hear about these stories about people wanting to get in. Uh, when we were at Stab High in Lakey Peak, Nathan Fletcher is actually recounting a story of somebody calling him. And kind of asking, like, hey, like, what's the deal? Who do I have to talk to about getting into this? And Nate's just like, well, me. And so it was just, like, it was – I was overhearing this conversation. It was just so cool to be in this position of, like, that's really how it works. Like, I mean, nobody can just call Nate and get in, but he had such a big role in, in choosing people. And, yeah, not a digital uh, wildcard thing like Hurley's thing, but I think there's going to be more – more controversy coming and I mean that's okay 
that's okay. And a few more notes on the field. Like I said, 40 male, 20 female, 50% of the field in both men's and women's will be Hawaiian. And like we kind of touched on, Makua had some thoughts on that, how that would affect like the non-priority thing. Great insight. And then 20% of the male field will be CT surfers. So we still have 80% of the field announcing next week. And yeah, it's going to break some ground. Looking forward to it. Watch. Rolo Montez officially joins Octopus team, contends for stab edit of the year. Stace, you might be biased. Who's got the lead right now? Stab edit of the year. Who's your pick? The Quicksilver stab edit of the year. Ah, yeah, that one. You know, obviously, Kale's piece was amazing, and there's just absolutely no other way I can put it. Um, it's interesting that um, how, how the years played out. I, I personally would have liked to have seen a few more edits. Uh, I think the big dogs at Stab have done an amazing job to put their gonads on the line for this piece, and uh, it's good to see a bit of uh, froth as you know the entries start to close and we're coming to the end of the year and uh you know between rollo Matthias hurdy rio wider and kale walsh um yeah they're all looking pretty good so i'll be stoked come on pick one oh, i think kale walsh's part was amazing yeah yeah but we're not here to talk about that we're talking about rollo's piece and for me rollo's um you know again being a naive east coast australian that i am um i really hadn't heard too much of rollo until i started working at quicksilver and the one thing that just seems to be across the board for, for him is that he is just one of the world's best blokes to hang out with. Like, no matter what trip he goes on, whether it's Mikey and Kale or just Kale and Rollo or Rollo and Harry Bryant and Dane Reynolds, like, he just seems to be one of those guys that's the glue of, of any trip. And then, um, obviously, to see him performing the way he does, he's, he's definitely got plenty of Dane influence in his surfing. And, um, you know, he's, he's a big unit. And when he goes towards the lip and, and lets a turn go, you, you kind of, you feel it through the screen. So, yeah, exciting guy to watch. And, um, yeah, it was a pretty, like, classic rock and roll surf edit. I, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, especially, like you said, you feel it through the screen. I think it definitely helps when you have these metal songs playing in the background. It's, uh, it's great. I mean, surf edits are good for your health. You got to watch them. We recently dropped a Jaleesa Vincent edit too, her at Macca's. It's not a stab out of the year contender, but it's still a great watch. Go check that out. And the Rolo thing, yeah, he's just fun to watch surfing. And you watch him, it's good for your health. We do have more stab edit of the year coming. Uh, I'll be layer, I think. He doesn't really put out a project without sitting on some crazy air that nobody's seen before. Just something that just, you go, what? how did you do that and why? So that one's coming. He's premiering it uh, from Santa Cruz to San Diego all next week. It's called Delirium. We'll share some info about that on the site. And in terms of Rolo, this is a really good one. I don't think it will win, but I think it will be a fan favorite. I think, like, especially with just the way that he surfs and the music that is used for this octopus part, it's it's going to hit a nerve for certain people in a way where I think it's going to be one that, like, a bunch of people vote for even though it won't win. I think it just has like such a unique feel between his angry surfing and the the music, which is funny because he is such a mellow guy on land, but he gets in the water and there is just that feeling to it, you know? So I don't think it's a winner, but it's still a must watch and it's going to be somebody's favorite. So go check it out.
Yeah, it's a fantastic watch, and I think it's cool to see brands like Octopus still hammering away at putting out good pieces. You know, you don't see them dropping apart every week, but whether it's Harry Bryant or Rollo or any of the other guys on the team, like Matt Payne and the crew there do such a good job of putting out edits, and uh, yeah, I think it's awesome to tune in. So yeah, another cracker from them. Go check it out and feel it. When are you going to join society? This is a great written profile. Written profiles are still tremendous reads. This one in particular, I'm going to be honest, one of my favorite things we've published on Stab Premium in some time. And I'm going to be really honest here and just say I almost said no to this idea initially. It's about an English surfer named Seb Smart. And I was just worried that he'd be too regional and I didn't know much about his story. And the writer, Ali Klingenberg, kind of said, hey, like, it's a good story. I, I really want to pursue it. And I said, okay, sure. I trust your gut if you're, like, you know, coming back to my soft no with a, yeah, I want to do it. I'm like, okay, sure. It came in, and I was like, Jesus Christ, I'm a fucking moron. Like, such a good read. He's got such an interesting life. It's just, I mean, his his parents own a fish and chip shop in a small English smuggling town and he just surfs the like hectic waves out front. That's just his career. Like he's not making bank by any means, but like he's his story seems so much different than I think what we're used to in professional surfing right now. That this is a great read, and there's really good photos to go along with it. It's it's really something I think you should spend some time with. Yeah, we're lucky enough to actually get a, a snippet uh, from that interview uh, with Ali and Seb now, so we'll take a listen. Yeah, a friend of mine said recently, he's like, when are you going to join society? Mm. And I was just like, I was like oh, fucking never, mate. <laughs> but you don't realise, like, in England, like, people just can't imagine you making any sort of money from surfing. Mm. Like, even my dad now, he's like, what, what are you doing? You know, you're not a bum, you know, you're just... And I tell him what, what I'm doing and bits of money that I make. He's like, oh, really? Like, what? No way, that's all right. But then he sort of forgets about it. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, it's the same deal with all my... None of them can believe it. Like, mm. people I went to school with, they don't believe it. Yeah, they think when you're on the dole or something and you just yeah. kind of... It's a lot of shit, yeah. It's like, what do you do? And now it's got to the point where I don't even like talking about it. It's like, mm. now, nowadays, when people ask, I'm just like, oh, you know, this and that. Yeah, yeah. Just ducking and diving. <laughs> People look at me and they're just like, ah, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I think you're a criminal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think people like this remind me all the time of why we all probably started surfing. And someone like Seb probably could have played rugby union really well or some other regimented team sport. But instead, he chose two disciplines that you do on your own, like surfing and boxing. And as far apart as they are, I can also see them at the same time being very similar. And um, it's uh, it's cool to see that perspective because I think so often we can get you know, caught up in surfing for other reasons other than the fact of you can do it whenever you want, you can do it by yourself, you could do it with another person. But mainly, I think the main joy that you get out of surfing is like finding a peak by yourself <laughs> uh, and I think that uh, you know reading this story definitely made me think about that a lot and uh, yeah just had so much respect for his life and everything like what a unique talented human the fact that he's just a weapon in the ring and then can just go out and surf at 94 kgs and blow huge airs um, a, a pretty you know 
pretty unique unique life, I think. I think so too. And that's a really good point about just being able to do things alone. Like I've had a conversation with a friend that played not in the NBA or anything, but like just played basketball professionally overseas. And I asked him about like, hey, do you miss that? Like you can't just go and shoot some free throws and feel what you felt in a game like that. Like you need so much. Like you can't just insert yourself into that once you step away from it, right? And surfing, we can kind of just always choose our own adventure. We could choose we could choose to pursue waves that are really hectic and are gonna give us some adrenaline, or we could choose waves that are just gonna be fun and playful and let us try different maneuvers and shit. But like it's something that I think about a lot. It would just be really annoying if you had to have all these other you literally had to rely on a bunch of other stuff. Like we rely on the ocean and somehow that's easier than relying on like having 10 other people at your similar skill level show up. It's like we can complain about the ocean sometimes. Yeah, it goes flat, does weird shit, but like it's really not that bad. We, we don't have it bad. No, not at all. And I feel like as you get a bit older and your surfing time gets less, it doesn't even matter if you get skunked. It's almost like that's all part of it and, and uh, yeah, you don't often need like the world's best waves to still get you psyched. And uh, yeah, I certainly think where he's from in the UK certainly doesn't look world class, but he's still having fun. Yeah, well, it's a great read. I don't want to spoil too much, but it does go into some of the stuff we just talked about. But also, you get a really good sense for this town that he grew up in. And I think that's such a big part of his story as well. It's just if you're tired of hearing about people from San Clemente, go read this. It's going to be really refreshing and you're going to walk away from it really entertained. <laughs> this guy does not live in San Clemente. <laughs> he definitely oh, does one not. One of the craziest surf blow-ups I ever saw was at Lowers and this guy came into the beach. It was when the ISA World Games were on, the junior ISA World Games were on oh, and they were at Oceanside. And... He went to the beach, called this kid out from like Peru or somewhere in South America and pulled boxing gloves out of his bag and threw the boxing gloves at the kid and had his own set of boxing gloves and was like, it's on me and you right now. And there was about a hundred kilo weight difference. And uh, yeah, so maybe Seb needs to go down there and sort that guy out. Do you know how much of a psychopath you have to be to wake up in the morning and bring two sets of boxing gloves with you? Two, two sets. That's just kind of annoying, too. That's like somebody, that's like a pool ringer, like somebody trying to rope you into something that, like, clearly if you show up with two sets of boxing gloves, you know how to box. Like, yeah. fuck that. Yeah, guy. you're Let's prepared. Let's get Seb there. Yeah, you, Let's get you, Seb you're there. in, you're ready. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right, let's get a campaign going to get Seb there to go find that guy and bash him. Bring two sets <laughs> of gloves for him. Thing. I was actually horrified. I, I was like, oh, man. I don't know how to deal with the situation. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for that. And uh, Seb, bring two sets and we'll get you on a plane to San Clemente. <laughs> I was lucky not to be killed by the blackened fumes and exploding drums of resin acetone. Hectic headline, hectic story. Shaper Joel Fitzgerald just had his house burned down. Near Byron Bay. It is a bummer. I mean, there's no way around this being just a sad story. It, it was where he lived. It was where he shaped. And um, it's just, it's a sad one. Joel had a board in the electric acid surfboard test with Stephanie Gilmore. It was called the Space Hawk. It was a 
and currently there's a GoFundMe to help get some funds together to help him rebuild. But we are also auctioning off this 5.2 Space Hawk. It's on eBay. If you go and click on the headline that I just read out loud, the one about black and fumes and exploding drums of resin acetone, you will find the eBay link. Um, you could own this board, okay? Right now, the current bid on eBay is 1300 AUD. We could do better, okay? It's, it's a good cause, and it's a great board. So, Joel, sorry. We're doing our best. Stab made a little donation as well, but we really want to bring some awareness to this and hopefully help him get back on his feet. Yeah, it's an absolute um, tragedy, but gladly no one was uh, injured. Just, uh, you know, obviously some property lost and uh, some classic surfboards and, and, and family memories for sure. And, you know, the second sort of famous shaper surfer house to, to go up and smoke in the last sort of 12 months Derek Hines place went up I think maybe a year or two ago as well and very similar situation um, you know no personal um, effects can be replaced from either one of those fires so it's um, it, it's would be just so heartbreaking and um, yeah I think we can do better than 1300 because you could walk into any shop in Byron Bay and pay twice that for one of Joel's boards so I think yeah we could definitely do way better and the fact that Steph's ridden that one as well I think is even more special so yeah let's see let's see how we go yeah go check that out um a funny little story there so Joel is his father shapes Terry Fitzgerald is just an iconic Australian shaper and I the Steph one Ashton Goggins ran that east and basically he was telling Steph the whole time that the this 5-2 was shaped by Terry and I think Steph kind of knows Joel and maybe had some conversations and knew that Joel shaped this board and Steph was sure that Joel shaped it Ashton was sure that Terry shaped it and Ashton kind of won that argument and so in the east she actually says Terry, she's forced to say Terry, and you could kind of, if you look closely, you can see her uh, unhappiness with delivering that information. And so, funny story. So yeah, if you go back and watch the East, it is Joel's board. It just, uh, it's just called Terry's in that episode. So, adds to the story. You can tell your friends about it when you triple, maybe quadruple this bid and uh, own this thing. Yeah, I know we'll get to it later, but that's a surf sin, if I've ever heard one. So, um, Ashton will get his penance at a later date. Skipping Sakurama and heading straight to the CT next season. Ah, oh, Stace, I wanted to get here with you. I wanted to get here with you. It's a CS podcast. Here we are, the Challenger Series headline. How are you going to answer that question? If you're answering that, who's skipping Sakurama and going straight to the CT? Uh, I, I do know one surfer that is skipping Sakurama uh, and going straight to the CT. Um, I guess I don't want to really divulge it for, for st strategical information, but uh, we'll go by the name of R. Callanen, uh, is getting married instead of uh, competing at uh, the world-famous Sakurama. Uh, so... The good news for Ryan is that he had a fantastic result in Portugal because he was skipping it regardless. So uh, well done to Ryan there. And uh, his, him and his beautiful fiancée Nina can have a um, stress-free QS chat-free wedding. No one will be talking about the QE at the wedding. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's good. That's very refreshing. So he, along with Leo Fioravanti and Rio Waida, 
have officially requalified. They are the three men to currently have, mathematically, there's no chance that they fall out of the CS Top 10 this year. So they're in. Uh, Leo and Rio, they can go get married too if they want. I don't know. I would be surprised if Leo shows up to Sakurama. I'm not sure, but I would be I would be surprised. I mean, I'm actually about to go spend a weekend with him. for We're going to a football game in Milan and then taking some of the football players up to Alaya Bay for a surf and showing Leo's stab at the year entry. Going to be a good time. I'll ask him this weekend, let you know if he'll go. I'd be surprised if he shows up. What about Rio? Is he going to Sakurama? I think that Rio's on such a warpath at the moment that I think him winning the Challenger Series is his number one focus. Um, you know, we recently tried to get Rio to come out here to Surf Bells Beach before he went away. Uh, and the timelines just didn't really link up. He had some other things that he needed to do at home, but it also gave me an indication that he's got one thing on his mind at the moment, and that's winning the Challenger Series. So I'd be I'd be surprised to see him not show up, um, although I wouldn't mind if he didn't. It's very expensive, pretty taxing on the body to go that far to Brazil for, for potentially one 30-minute heat, considering the position that he's in, and also knowing that Ryan isn't going. Um, Liam O'Brien would need to win the event to overtake both of those guys basically so there's a lot of daylight between first, second and third and the rest of the field so it's a really interesting one if I was Rio and Leo and Ryan I knew they both weren't going I I probably would go um, just to try and get that number one spot going into Hawaii because it is a massive, massive thing to have that number one seed coming onto the CT so yeah, I know contractually there's probably bonuses there for him as well. So, yeah, lots to consider. Um, it's uh, oh, it's going to be great to watch though. Such a crazy event for people to want to uh, do well in because it's every surfer's dream, not every, but majority of surfers' dream to qualify before Hawaii. You ideally do not want to be going into Halley even needing a result. You're going to draw Pancho Sullivan in round one and probably get annihilated by his 7-6. So, yeah. It's going to be going to be really cool. It is. And I wanted to ask you, how do you think, I mean, Leo won the Challenger Series event in Portugal just last weekend, and obviously that feels good. I mean, you could tell how good it felt watching him get shared up. Like, it's winning an event of that size, whether it's a CT or a CS, regardless, if at the end of the day you beat everybody, that feels great, right? But with him and even Ryan, like, I went up to Panish last March when the CT was there, and I remember, like, I, I saw him briefly, and we chatted, and he was about to go up to Iceland or Norway or something for a billabong trip. And it just kind of struck me as bizarre. Like, in March, both those guys were here. And then, obviously, this is the first year that we have the mid-year cut and this semi-redesigned Challenger Series. It just felt weird that they were both in this place, in this same country, maybe about 50 kilometers away location-wise, and that they were so close to getting booted from the tour, and then just months later, they're back on. I almost wonder if it was kind of annoying, if it was just like, hey, why didn't you just keep me on? Like, why didn't... I felt... I thought it must feel weird to have been in the same country a mere months prior, and then you're back, and then you're back on the tour that you just got kicked off of. It just... It felt like a... It seemed like a... I don't know. It tripped me out. How do you feel about that? Oh, for sure. I I, I don't think... uh... Look, I don't think the tour off the QS and the CT has ever been perfect, and I don't know if it ever will be. I think this is about as good as it's ever been. Um, 
you know, I can recall, you know, around 2013, 2014, they used to have a, um, a, a what was it, I guess you could call a 10,000 at um, Fernando de Noronha, the island in Brazil, in January. So straight after Hawaii, basically. And then they would finish out the year with like two six stars back to back in November before Hawaii. So if you were serious about qualifying, you had to go. You couldn't miss that event. Um, so, you know, just to give some clarity there, I'd say that's probably the worst it's ever been. And now to be kind of, at least you're in the CT in March and now it's the CS in September. I don't think that's too bad. Um, at least the Challenger Series season is pretty short now. And I am hearing whispers that it's even going to be shorter next year, which I think would be nice. I think six events is probably the magic number. Uh, and yeah, that that's... Um, you know, like, gee, again, it's definitely not perfect. I understand your weirdness, but it's not too bad. And I think genuinely a lot of the surfers love Portugal. And I think they're stoked that Portugal, the country and the government support surfing because, you know, to go there, you look at, say, like someone like Aton Osborne or someone like that, they go to do the QS there at the event, but they're consistently chasing waves all around the other spots. And I know Ryan's like that as well. You know, they, they surf the comp bank when they have to, and then there's so many other good waves around there that they make good use of, and certainly not the worst spot to be going back to twice in six months. Totally, totally. And I do like the new system as well. I just, it just, the coincidence of being in the same place, and at one point in time, the system telling you, hey, you shouldn't be on this tour, and then months later, it's t- telling you, you should be on this tour. It was, it just seemed confusing, but. I do like the new system. The going down to six events thing is interesting. I agree that like just having six punchier events is better than it's just a step away from that old tour of, of 30,000 events that are varying points. And it's just so confusing, but with France falling off this year, I have to say we're right now in the window. It would have been October 12th, 23rd and the service cooking. It's been firing. It's going to continue to fire. I think you even said Rio went there. So a little bit of like, you know, maybe France is lashing out a little bit. The universe is kind of saying, hey, you know what? Like, I know it wasn't really the ideal scenario for anybody at, at Quicksilver or the WSL to really have that fall-off tour, but it is a little bit of a lash-out going on up there right now. The forecast just looks delicious, so interesting. I hope that one comes back. I hope that's one of the six. But we haven't chatted about the gals yet. Right now there are four gals who are way, way, way up in the head for the five spots, we have Macy Callahan, Molly Picklum, Katie Simmers, and Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, who none of them are officially qualified, but let's just be honest, none of them are going to fall out. Don't you think? Uh, I'd probably push back there and say it's a possibility. Uh, Sakurama has that much backwash in it, someone could win that event going out to sea. And, like, you know, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson or someone might not read the, you know, read that, that the best waves are the ones going out to sea, not the ones coming in. Uh, and someone from outside that top five could definitely come in because I think you know there's a lot of quality within that top ten on the women's tour of the of the CS. So, <laughs> but with Betty Lou, then it's Haliva, like she's gonna win that for, for sure. But she might need to, you know what I mean? And 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 I, I'm not too sure. You're right. She probably will win Haliva. But I think the women's is obviously a lot closer than the men's, even though there is that four breakaway pack. There's still 20,000 points on the line for a particular surfer that's left out there, you know, that we might have not even thought of. So I still think it is pretty wide open. 
Um, I think Coco Ho qualified in the last two events. I think Malia Manuel qualified in the last two events when she qualified. So I'm kind of hoping something like that happens. It'd be cool to see someone come from nowhere and, uh, and clean it up. Well, right now, Nikki Van Dyke is in that last, that fifth last qualifying spot. And that there's a big chunk of points separating her from that top four pack. So I'd be surprised if there isn't a shake up there, but we'll see how the top four goes in the men's. So we have 10 qualifiers and three are confirmed, locked in. They're not falling out. Mathematically impossible. Like you said, 20K points online. Somebody can come out of nowhere. Somebody could be just in 60th right now, win two events, and boom, they're there. Unlikely, but it could happen. Anybody from way out of the pack, maybe not even way out of the pack, but anybody you're keeping an eye on going into these last two events that isn't really in that conversation right now, but that you could see just kind of launching into a higher position i'm gonna get scolded for just being too pro quick but we, we kind of only just picked him up so i'm not really too pro but i didn't think al cleland looked that good in portugal uh, i thought he sort of mungled his way into a ninth he could so easily win halley eva man that kid is so world class when the waves get good um, so he's kind of someone that I think is like a pretty crazy dark horse for sure. I like that pick, yeah. And even if you made the tour, pipe sunset to start, like it seems like the the first half of the year would favor him too. So that's an interesting one for sure. I definitely think his small wave surfing has got a, a little left to the imagination, but if he could, you know, find his way on the tour, there's there's not too many small waves on the tour to start the year. So I think he'd do pretty well if he if he made it there. Yeah, yeah. Another thing I want to call out, and this is so subject to change, and also read this piece if you want a full breakdown, if you want all the names and who's in, who's out right now. But when you look at the current top 10 men who, like I said, going to change, 20K more points on the line, plus all the second, third, so on results, ton of points still out there. But there's only three faces, other than Rio, who's already qualifying, there's already three, only three new faces who we haven't yet seen get a start on the on the CT. Ian Gentile, Maxime Huchonneau, and Dylan Moffitt. Um, the rest of that top 10 is currently made up of people who we've already seen have a go on the CT. What do you know about these three? Ian Gentile is, I would say, Hawaii's Pedersen Crisanto. Like, as a junior, Ian Gentile was the guy. He, you, you saw him coming from a mile away like, oh my God, this guy is going to win 100 world titles. And then for, for whatever reason, I think maybe some bad luck with injury and then um, you know lost his major sponsor. And then I think he went to study for a few years. Um, and now he's back. And similar to like what you say about the, these guys that maybe aren't the greatest when the waves are small, but when the waves get good, he's so world-class. Like at Snapper, when the waves were pumping, I think he got fifth. He looked like he could win the comp. And then it goes without saying in Hawaii, he's super strong as well. Uh, he's from Maui, I'm pretty sure. And, um, you know, it'd be, you know, Maui deserves another surfer on the world tour. There's so many good surfers from there. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, lovely guy, super quiet. But when the waves are good, he's, yeah, definitely belongs on the tour for sure. And then Maxime, I think, won a world junior title in 1991 when he was born. Uh, and then sort of hasn't really been, you know, he's been close a few times. But, um, yeah, this is looking like his year. And the young mongrel Aussie Dylan Moffat. Um, 
yeah, what can you say about him? He's kind of like this year's Morgan Sibillic, really, if you qualified. I don't think anyone really outside of Australia would have had Dill on their radar. Um, but in, in, inside Australia, everyone knows how strong he is. He's from North Narrabeen, and we got a small glimpse of him at the uh, Narrabeen World Tour event. He had a crazy heat with um, Jack Freestone himself and uh, Leonardo Fioravanti. And um, that was one of the best three-man heats of the year, I think. They were both trading huge scores. Oh, sorry, all three of them were trading huge scores and doing massive backside airs. And you kind of got a glimpse of him there, like he can match it with the best. So, yeah, if he can keep his role going. I think last year in Portugal, he did the world's biggest ever layback at Ribeira Dil Il House. Uh, he didn't back that up again this year, but uh, another strong performance and... Um, yeah, not the only Aussie who's kind of knocking on the door there. There's, a, there's you know, Morgan at 10th, I think, and Jacob at 11th. And then Sheldon had a great start to the year, but he still needs another big result to lock it away. So, yeah, plenty of good young Aussies having a crack. Okay, so to review, we had potentially this year's Morgan Sibillic. We had the Hawaiian Pedersen Crisanto. And then I didn't quite get a Maxime one. Is there like a French, is he a French equivalent to somebody that we could kind of conjure up from the 1998 CT rankings or <laughs> I don't know. Um, where can I go there? I don't, I don't not have the best, uh, surf encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, everyone from La Reunion. So I might have to leave that one to you, Buck. Okay. Well, no, I want it like an outside, like somebody that doesn't know that to kind of connect how he surfs. So, ah, oh, um, ah, oh, geez. He's a tricky one. He's got a pretty unique style. He gets tubed. He'll go. He doesn't surf like anyone else that I could really think of. And he, he does, like, crazy backside airs, and he's obviously spent a lot of time around the Hossegor region, knows how to get pitted. Um, I think he'd nearly be 30, like 28, 29. Definitely one of those like journeymen, kind of like Jean de Roux, who's just been knocking at the door for ages, and, and when they finally qualified, like he fit right in there for a few years. So I think Maxime would be pretty similar. Cool. Well, let's see. Still a lot of points on the line, but we will keep you posted. All right, folks. It is that very special time, surfs in time. And guess what? Stace has got one. Paul, I tried to push him there last week. He promised. I think we committed to a month, so we'll hear his eventually. But for now, we're going to hear Stace's. What do we got? Uh, it's sort of... I don't know. I feel like I'm hopefully not alone with this one. So hopefully, uh, you know, uh, you know, my penance isn't too gnarly. Or if it is, maybe I deserve it. I guess I'm not in control of that. So guess I better just pucker up and put it all on the table. Um, look, Buckley, you're a wise man. You've said many a wise thing. Uh, none more wiser than if you don't hate somebody else in the surf, you'll only hate yourself. Um, I, I take that to the nth degree uh, in between my ears. Um, the internal battles that I have with complete strangers in the surf at Snapper, like even, for instance, this week, it was pre-firing. I was going to bed thinking about, okay, I'm going to surf in the morning. Um, I, you know, not the only person in the world that's got a couple of kids, like not making that a big deal or anything, but like, Hey, you know, 
Courtney, you're sweet. I'm going to get up early in the morning. I've got a three-year-old who does backflips off the wall at 4.30 in the morning. So, you know, you're on. Uh, but I'll be home by whatever, 7.30, and I'll make sure I get a few waves, you know, because you want to make the most of your session and, and the opportunity you've been given. And it's, I just can't help but as I'm about to jump off the rock, just eyeball a complete stranger and be like, nah, any wave you look at, like, I'm going to try and go as well or, or whatever. I'm going to make sure I'm inside you or like I just create these stupid storylines that are just so far beyond reality. Um, and I just I, I just don't know any other way. Uh, it literally keeps me up at night thinking about how crowded that lineup is and how I know where I would like to sit and get certain waves. And, you know, it's certainly nowhere near the top of the peak. I kind of like to sit off the end and get the, the scraps, but I still know what like an A-grade scrap looks like. And if I see someone near the A-grade scrap spot, I kind of like, yeah, just think to myself, nah, like how could you even think to be there? I want to be there. And it just is like, so immature but i just can't get out of the rut buckley okay okay well one thing i want to call out is it kind of reminds me of you i'm sure you've watched the last dance that that documentary on michael jordan and the bulls and he talks about in there making up these scenarios in his head just fully fabricating stories about people talking shit about him or i forget what exactly it was but making up stories about people so that he'd play harder in a game and I think there's two ways to kind of interpret that. One is like Michael Jordan's a psychopath, which is partially true. He's obviously one of the most competitive people on the planet. That's why he did so well in competition. But I do think there's something like telling about just human nature there. I think we all do that to agree, a degree. We don't all play in the NBA for titles. We don't all have the talent that he did. But I think everybody does something like this. So you're not alone. Everybody does it to a degree. Maybe not. It sounds like your sin is really just pushing it a little bit too far. You're getting a little bit uh, too close to MJ. There's no, there's no age limit, might I add, or or gender. It, I don't, you know, in my mind, it's it's everyone's on the same playing field. Oh, it that's could a be quality, a baby. Learn to surfer. Yeah, that's a quality. Yeah. Love Savage. It. Yeah, it Love could it. be my own mother, and I'm still thinking I'm on the next one. Okay, well, my penance to you is to go left for an entire session. We've talked about it here before, but there is that left kind of off Freddy's Rock there. doesn't have to be a cooking day, but you have to jump off the rock too. You have to jump off the rock and then do not get a wave down there. Jump off the rock, work your way down there, and go left for an entire session. Like I said, doesn't have to be a cooking day, just a fun day. Probably some ramps out there. So I think doing that will put you in touch with how silly what we kind of do is and you just watch your way doing it up there you'll feel a little bit removed it'll give you that perspective that removed perspective to realize that uh you know there's probably some health to that like there's probably something about that that's going to get you better waves but if you're thinking about it at night probably problematic so let's get you a little bit of the removed perspective there and uh on your healing journey thank you brandon just quickly um, just hypothetically, if there's a, a surfer there, say a young goofy footer who might want to find that little left themselves and, you know, because sometimes when the sand goes from behind the rock, it snapper is actually, it, it was first a world-class left before it was a world-class right, uh, at little Marley there. And the wind with the southerly kind of blowing into that left, like you said, a couple of ramps, like, you know, what happens if I find myself there and, and I'm battling that person? How, how do I, how do I get out of that? situation 
Oh, fuck that guy. Then just battle him. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, jeez. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Buckley. I appreciate that. And, um, uh, yeah, my, there you um, go, Stace. On your you know, healing journey. I, I deserve it. And I'll, 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 I, unlike Mikey, who's dragging the chain, I'll, I'll hop to that. I'll get some video evidence to you. And, um, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, hopefully feel a lot better after it. All right. I hope that there's some just eager goof out there to ruin your day. We'll see. <laughs> Good chat, Stace. Enjoy Milan and the wave pool and all the other uh, strange things you're about to do with Leo. I guess we'll hear about that next week. We will hear about it next week. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. So I'll keep you posted. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't not add this in. Weirdly enough, we've spoken a lot about Ryan Callanan in this podcast today. Uh, along with Ryan and um, Jack Freestone one year, Stephen Bell and Leo, just talking about doing weird things with Leo. Somehow Leo has this connection with this guy in Brazil who's like the whatever CEO of Pirelli Tires. In Latin America. Yeah, like some crazy title. uh, Massive house there. Butlers, chauffeurs, the lot. Pirelli randomly sponsor the maintenance of Christ the Redeemer. Okay. Heard of it, yeah. Sure. Myself, Leo, Jack, Ryan, and Belly, all in Christ the Redeemer's skull with no real safety gear inside his head we climbed up the middle oh of the thing and just have this crazy photo of all of us just like you know it's the wildest thing i've ever done i think second second wildest thing i've ever done <laughs> wow well this one i don't think i could really compete i know we're going to this inter milano game on sunday and we're sitting at like a club level probably have all this stuff put on so it's it's just weird he plays the game differently you know some people might just he does that's yeah this isn't a competitive story that it's more about a leo story right of like man him and guys like him and kanoa and and these other kind of young professional surfers you know multilingual we've got houses all around the world they drive luxury cars all around the world they are operating on an absolutely different different level to us uh and uh if ever you can get a strike of the lightning hold on to it buck that's my only advice all right well thanks Stace. it's good advice and it was a great chat all right ladies and gentlemen this is your pilot big dick bower surfer once again thank you for flying with us i hope it was a smooth flight and remember three waves counts as a surf and never trust anybody who says nine foot. Bye-bye.